Good morning, good day, and nothing good but good wishes to you and your family. My name is Sean Coleman. Welcome to the Locked on Grizzlies podcast. Hope wherever you are and wherever you are listening, you are having a great start to your day. You obviously can find the show at Locked on Grizz, myself at Stats SAC. My name is Sean Coleman. I'm a credentialed media member with the Grizzlies, have been covering the Grizzlies for over three years. Your host here at Locked on Grizzlies, your latest Grizzlies news perspectives and honest truth, your Grizzlies every day. Obviously, day two of the 2021 NBA free agency season is in the books. And while the Grizzlies have not made any sort of moves, they were in the headlines from last night due to their excellent play in return to in, in their return to the court for the start of their 2021 summer league journey. But the thing about it is this, they actually played very well on the same exact court their 2020-2021 season ended as the as the Grizzlies are getting a tune-up for the Vegas Summer League by playing in the Salt Lake City Summer League. The Grizzlies won by nearly 40 points last night. Desmond Bain, Xavier Tillman, John Conchar all stood out. Newcomers such as Romeo Weems and Yves Pons did very well in their roles as well. Plenty of enjoyable play from this young team. Yes, you're seeing names that are likely going to have relevant roles for the Grizzlies perform well, let's just be honest, against lesser levels of talent, but to see names like Weems and Pons really stand out as potentially being candidates for the Grizzlies two-way contracts and seeing some of these players on this summer league team put together good runs to help them be able to maybe perhaps be a member of the Hustle or other G League teams. It's a great opportunity for these young talents to show what they can do on an NBA-like stage, and it's great to see once again the Grizzlies' depth shining through in an absolutely convincing and outstanding performance and a huge victory over the Utah Jazz's Summer League team. We'll have plenty more on the Summer League performances as the Grizzlies play again tonight We'll have that on tomorrow's episode of Locked on Grizzlies as we welcome friend of the show Chip Williams to talk about all things in the 2021 NBA draft, especially a breakdown of first round pick or 10th overall pick Zaire Williams. But also in today's episode, I have a very good friend of mine. Greg Waddell. He covers college basketball as part of the duo that does Sleepers Media, a wonderfully, wonderfully put together podcast on all things sports, but mainly college basketball. You can find them at Sleepers Media on uh, Twitter. You can find Greg at GWeezy12 on Twitter as well. I welcome Greg to discuss all things NBA draft, roster construction when it comes to adding young talent, and the pipeline that is college basketball moving forward when it comes to to the NBA draft and beyond. Plenty to discuss. Greg was absolutely wonderful. Hope you enjoy this conversation with Greg Waddell of Sleepers Media for this edition of the Locked on Grizzlies podcast. And then tomorrow we'll be right back with Chip Williams looking at a breakdown for Zaire Williams as well as talking more about the excellent performance that we're starting to see from the 2021 Grizzlies Summer League roster. Enjoy this conversation with Greg Waddell from Sleepers Media. One of the wonderful things that I love about having this podcast is the opportunity to just take some time and have some good conversations with people that I've come to know and enjoy getting to know. And one of those folks is Greg Waddell. He is one half of the wonderful college basketball and college sports podcast, the Sleepers podcast. They cover so many other things besides that, though. 
one half of it with Carter Elliott. He also writes for SpartanHoop.com, but just in general, a great sports mind. Greg, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great, man. You give the best intros of anybody that I've met in my life, and I mean that totally genuinely, but thank you so much for the kindness. Uh, yeah, hey, every word of it is meant. I, you know, that there are many people. Uh, Greg is is one of the many folks that I have met through the locker room app, Spotify, Green Room, whatever have you. But the whole point is, is that Greg is just a great dude, and me and him, uh, his buddy Carter, who he does the podcast with, and several others. Greg is one of the few. You know, there's so many that I enjoy talking with, but Greg absolutely stands out because me and him could just sit here and talk sports out of the blue and just sit here and do it for hours. Especially when it comes to Greg's love for the Tennessee Vols, when it comes to all. <laughs> college sports right Greg uh it's the beauty of the internet that brings together a, a midwestern from or a midwesterner from Michigan who has the most messed up fan rooting interests on earth if you ask people for me I mean I like every team in the state of Michigan with uh just a Tennessee slappy who's just here to put agendas out for Rick Barnes and his Round of 32 losing volunteers every single year. I'll do my best to choke this one down, Sean. I really will. Hey, we, we, we would have gladly taken the round of 32 this year, <laughs> especially with the roster that we had. But we'll get to that in another time. You could find Greg at gweezy 12 on Twitter, myself at StatsSAC, the podcast wherever it's available. And I believe you could find Sleepers at Sleepers Media, right, Greg? Yes, sir. That's correct. Okay, so check out Sleepers, obviously, but let's get right into it. One of the reasons I wanted to bring Greg on the show was to talk Grizzlies, talk the NBA draft, but just in general, talk about where we are as far as building an NBA roster through college. You've got other avenues now that are being created, the G League, the Overtime League, the international scene as well, but the Grizzlies have had a lot of investment when it comes to investing in college players. Greg, this year, you know, we'll get into the draft in just a second, but the Grizzlies have done so well at finding the right guys from college who have, yes, they may not necessarily have high ceilings, but they have certain floors that the Grizzlies have actually been able to get more out of than people may have thought. A guy you know well is Xavier Tillman. Just from afar, how impressed have you been with the Grizzlies' ability to identify college talents that can immediately contribute in the NBA? I mean, incredibly impressed, especially as a Detroit Pistons fan whose franchise has been a mess for God knows how long, and we just lucked into our first real true talent of a guy in Cade Cunningham, knock on wood. But no, I think, I mean, you, you're one of many franchises that I think you can point to specifically that have had success going that route. Um, Xavier Tillman is uh, a name I'm super familiar with that obviously all Grizzlies fans are as well. And I think he's a great story of the the benefit of playing in college, really. I mean, he was a three-year guy who was an unheralded recruit from the state of Michigan when he signed with Michigan State sort of a fringe four-star-ish type, mid-four-star guy who had to wait his turn. You know, he was uh, in a loaded front court his freshman year that included other Memphis Grizzlies player, Jaron Jackson, um, along with a bunch of other really, really talented upperclassmen guys under Tom Izzo at Michigan State. And he did wait his turn. He showed some signs as a freshman that um, were enough to get Spartan fans excited at the college level, but it really was until his sophomore season where you started to see signs of a guy who could jump out and, and do some things, especially defensively. I mean, he was always a guy that was very mobile, 
was switchable, could stay in front of anybody at the college level, guard, forward, center. Um, and then you see junior year, he blossoms into a guy who is a staple of the offense with Cassius Winston in the pick and roll at Michigan State. I mean, that was probably the most lethal one-two punch in the conference, maybe even in the country before that season got cut short by COVID. Um, and I think, you know, heading into the draft, a lot of people had Xavier Tillman pegged as a, a fringe first rounder, a guy who at times looked like he could have honestly worked his way up into the lottery and credit to the Grizzlies for taking that chance on him after that season was cut short, after there wasn't necessarily a run in March that, you know, elevated him to the status of a guy who gets some buzz and jumps up. But he was always a guy who I think deserved a, a mid first round grade. If you really paid attention and certainly the Grizzlies were aware of that and they capitalized on it, which they seem to have done really across the board, building this very nice core that you guys have got. And so that's what kind of going into this draft, and I agree with you, you know, it, it's they, they've done a good job doing it, and you're right. You know, hey, the you may want to call them a year behind perhaps, but the Pistons did it last year, right? You know, they did it with Isaiah Stewart, Sadiq Bey, um, Killian, um, uh, Killian Hayes, though he didn't play that much, but uh, Saban Lee, they get, did a great job of getting a young core together, even if it may not be their guy. Obviously, and congratulations, they landed their guy in Cade Cunningham. But, Greg, this shifts me to this year's draft in which you have a team like the Grizzlies who's hit so well on getting these young, controllable, supporting cast members. It kind of makes sense then that they're put in a position in a draft that's been so different because of the depth of upside swings that it has. Zaire Williams stands out as being, in my opinion, one of the higher ceiling players in this draft, certainly fits the Grizzlies' need for a big wing that can create on his own because of the Grizzlies' past success over the past couple of years, it kind of makes you feel as if they were right for going with a high-risk but high-reward pick in Zaire Williams to try to find a higher level of player than they may have picked beyond John Moran over the past few years. Yeah, I don't blame you for that. I think Zaire Williams, undoubtedly to me, from what I saw from him in college, is a top-10 talent in this draft. I mean, certified just star potential if he hits and everything comes together now is that worth taking a shot at 10 if you're the memphis grizzlies i think the answer is maybe and i think your front office has earned the ability to take their shot on guys who they like with the benefit of the doubt now i personally think just based on what i had heard going into the draft i think they could have gotten zaire later necessarily i mean i know didn't you trade it up to get to 10 correct that's the move that happened from 17 to 10 you're right yep now, now i don't know that he would have been there at 17 but there may have been a player maybe similar in upside or at least higher floor than zaire williams if they had stayed at 17 but with the way that first round shook out so many crazy things were happening with guys going picks way earlier than they should have in my opinion like Josh Primo to the Spurs is still making me do a backflip when he was a fringe first round guy in most mocks. So I look, I don't blame them for taking the swing because like I said, his upside is closer to a top five, six guy in this draft than it is even top 10. Um, but he's a guy who really does have to show that he can put it all together. And I think, you know, can he play on the wing next to Jaron and Ja and have a super springy athletic 
long trio of guys from the guard spot to the forward to the center spot, I think he probably could. Um, and the nice thing is the Grizzlies have enough talent already. They have a great system in place that they don't necessarily need him to be a day one contributor in order to keep this team in the playoff hunt. I'm sure Grizzlies fans would love to see him be a day one contributor because, you know, if he does hit, he could be the guy that takes you from that play in game closer up to the six, the five seeds. So I, I like the swing. Like I said, value wise, I think it was the perfect thing at 10. Maybe not, but I'm giving your front office the benefit of the doubt because they've earned it at this point. And Zaire truly is one of the most fun guys to watch. I mean, when he's on early in the season, Maui Invitational was Stanford. I mean, I was texting everyone in my phone book, like, you got to see what Zaire's doing right now. Like, this this kid is a freak when he puts it together. And the other thing that I'll add, say is this, again, we're here with Greg Waddell, a wonderful, wonderful basketball mind in one half of the absolutely amazing Sleepers Media Podcast. Greg, the other thing, though, that I'll ask is this, is it's beyond just the talent that is Zaire Williams. It's also the fact that this draft was so deep, especially in the first 15 picks, of big wings with significant upside potential. You obviously have a bit of connection with a couple of them, now obviously cheering for the team that got Kate Cunningham, but also Franz Wagner, who many Grizzlies fans felt Memphis was targeting, but you have those two. You have Jonathan Kaminga, Moses Moody, um, as well as a few others, obviously Zaire Williams. But that's the thing about it. If you're going to take that upside swing, take it in a player profile like Zaire Williams, because it seems like that that's the one player profile that that multi-talented can add value in multiple ways, wing talent. It seems like that if you're going to be a contender, you have to have an extremely valuable version of that type of player. So that's why you saw so many of those types of players go in the first 15 picks of this draft. 100%. It's not a coincidence. If you watch the teams that made playoff runs this season and it was a crazy NBA playoffs right I don't think anybody had a preseason betting ticket on Suns Bucks in the NBA finals but if you watch those playoffs play out as this league is becoming a more wide open league than it's been in years with all the young talent in the league some of the the veteran superstars you know getting up there in age it's teams that have versatile defenders that can shoot the ball from a bunch of different positions can switch everything defensively and can just cause havoc no matter what your style of play is. And I think you're seeing that reflected in the draft. You're seeing low post guys who are one to two dimensional falling in the draft a little more than we're used to. Um, you know, Zaire to me is, is a supersized wing. He's a guy that could play the three has some guard skill but also has the size that if he just had a little more of a growth spurt, I mean, he can guard NBA fives if he hits a weight room for a few years. So I, I think that's the prototype. You know, everyone's going to say, can we find the next Giannis? You're never going to find the next Giannis. They don't make guys with Giannis's measurables, with his work ethic, with all of that package. But can you find the next Mikal Bridges? 100%. Can you find a guy who is like Macau Bridges, but springier with a little more solo shot creation. Maybe that's what Zaire Williams could be in a couple of years. You never know. And I don't mean to compare them because I don't think they're very similar player archetypes, but I think that's what you're looking for is the versatility of a guy like Bridges who can switch and guard one through four, knock down the open shot from three, 
and just be an all-around puzzle piece. And I think that's what Zaire Williams projects. Even if he doesn't hit that superstar upside that I mentioned earlier, he projects to me as a guy that can do a lot of different things for a good team in the NBA rotation. That's all about it, right? It's knowing how to use the pieces that you get. And that's going to stand out more as we start to see some of the premier talents in the NBA continue to get in their older years. Coming up, I'm going to talk with Greg a bit more about this draft and especially team roster construction when it comes to some of the up-and-coming teams in the NBA. I'm not sure about you when it comes to your daily routine, but one thing I can tell you is I love to have options when it comes to snacks, because I just don't want to get monotonous when it comes to the snacks that I can enjoy on a daily basis. But a couple of things that I'm trying to get better at is not only choosing a snack that tastes great, but also one that can add health benefits to my day. And one of the best sources of out there to be able to provide that is Built Bar. Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar out there right now. It literally is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, but also allows for you to get a boost to your day as well as plenty of health benefits. Have it in the morning for breakfast, in the afternoon as a snack. No matter when you enjoy it, it's going to add value to your day. And if you go to BuiltBar.com right now, you can choose from over 18 different flavors. And the great thing about it is, is that that's what allows for it not to be monotonous. There's no bad choice when it comes to these flavors. Whatever flavor you decide you want, it's there for you. And if you go to BuiltBar.com right now as well, you put in the promo code LOCKED15, you'll get 15% off your next order from Built Bar. Once you make it a part of your day, I feel Built Bar is going to be there to stay. Go to BuiltBar.com right now, put in the promo code LOCKED15, and get 15% off your next order from Built Bar. So, Greg, we talk about these big front court talents. Obviously, you got Luca in Dallas. You've got both Brown and Tatum in Boston, Zion um, in uh, New Orleans, so on and so forth. But the other thing that I'll get your opinion on is this, because they're doing it in different ways. You do have these teams now where you clearly know their franchise player is their point guard. LaMelo in Charlotte, Trey in Atlanta, Jaw in Memphis. There are a few others that are out there. But all three of those teams have done exceptionally well in supporting those young players. Obviously, the run Atlanta had this year, the the great job that uh, Memphis has done drafting and developing talent, and how well Charlotte did. It does seem like that these teams are starting to show you might be able to change the narrative a bit, and in the future, we could see a team win a championship with while their primary player, their franchise player is a point guard, it's because of how deep they are that allows for them to win a title. Some great construction around some very talented young point guards who are the future of the league. Yeah, I don't think there's only one way to win in the NBA. And I think we saw that play out this season, sort of like I mentioned a minute ago, where, um, you know, there's so much young talent now that it feels like a totally fresh league compared to what we've been watching for the last two decades plus. Um, and the league, if I've learned one thing from being an NBA fan for the, the almost 30 years of my life now, it's that the league goes in cycles. And, you know, we've seen things play out from you need a dominant low post guy to you need a volume scoring two guard to you need shooting and you need shooting everywhere. And I think the next iteration of this truly in my mind is there's not one thing you need. You just need to figure out what it is that your team does best and optimize that through your roster construction. Um, and I think it, what Memphis has looking specifically at the Grizzlies roster is a guy you can build around to win a championship in John Morant. And 
I think what you saw from Ja and what I saw from Ja just in in this year's playoff run was a guy who ain't going to back down and a guy who can be relied upon in a much higher volume way as a primary scorer and a primary creator than I realized that he could do at his age. I mean, I, I look at young players like Ja who are in their second year in the league, and I just typically think if you're in the backcourt, it's going to take you three or four years to put that all together. Meanwhile, here I am watching Ja Morant just beat everybody off the dribble, get to his spot whenever he wanted, and finish at a level that a superstar does. I mean, his combination of floaters with explosive dunks and layups with even those little, the the footwork on the jump stop and the pivot and the turnaround little float shot. I mean, he's got it all. And I think now maybe Memphis thought that or hoped that when they drafted John Morant, what they now can do is feel so confident that they know they have that. And you've got to find the right pieces around him to now optimize everything he can do on the ball build a defensive foundation around him that can play to his strengths. And that's where the springy, switchable, mobile bigs and wings like Zaire Williams and Xavier Tillman, who we already mentioned, come in so well. I mean, there's a very high defensive ceiling with what Memphis has built right now. Um, And you've got shooters too, right? Dylan Brooks obviously impressed in the playoff run. And I think if, if that's what you can do offensively, find guys who can shoot, space the floor, make sure Ja has the ball down the stretch of games and can do his thing, and then defensively build a very versatile one through five where you're shot blocking. You've got good help defenders. You've got mobile guys who can stay in front of multiple positions. I love the formula that you have there, and it's one that I think can definitely be in play for championships over the next decade. And you bring up a great point. It's all about playing to your strengths, forming your roster to feature your best talents. But in the Southwest Division alone, we've got examples of of how to do it and not how to do it. You know, I think that on most lists of players under the age of 23 or 24, Luka and Zion would likely be at the top of that list, the top one and two. But you look at the Dallas situation, you look at the New Orleans situation, there's not just overwhelming positive feelings coming out of those situations. But a place like Memphis, a place like Charlotte, Atlanta, who changed its narrative this year, even Houston, who got who looked into Kevin Porter Jr., an outstanding draft, uh, Detroit's the same way. A lot of it also, Greg, comes down to not only having a front office that knows what it's doing, but consistently finding value with the roster additions that it makes. That's a big key. It's confidence building the roster from the top to the bottom, from the guy who's going to be ninth or tenth in your rotation to obviously your top one or two guys. A competent front office plays such a huge role in determining the success of these rebuilds and up and coming teams. I say this in college, and I'll just make a comparison here. It's not, if you want to win a national championship, obviously, you know, talent is what does that, and talent in the backcourt does that. But with my team that I cover at Spartan Hoops, Michigan State, they don't recruit a ton of one-and-dones. Jaron Jackson is the last one-and-done that we've had, and one of the only in almost 25 years under Tom Izzo. They build a roster around multiple great years in a row on the recruiting end and for them if they want to win it's not about the current class as great as they've had some incoming classes they've had top five in the country classes in order for them to sustain success it's about what they do the next year 
How do you follow up and fill in the gaps and supplement the guys that you just got that you feel really good about and build something more than just a splash or a flash in the pan? And I think it's very similar at the NBA level. And I think that's what you've seen with some franchises that have stagnated a little bit is, you know, maybe you do hit the lottery. Maybe you get a guy in the 10 to 15 range that never should have fallen to you. Or maybe you hit on the number one overall pick and you get an absolute superstar from day one. Either way, once you've got that superstar, what happens next is so critical because you can either stay at the bottom of the standings and get another guy to fill in, but there's no just proven fact that whoever you draft is going to be the supplemental piece you need. We all know, franchises of every team in the league know that you'd never hit 100% hit rate on the draft. That's why there's so much luck involved with this. But I think like to, to Phoenix's success this year, if you look at them, I mean, they've had Devin Booker for what, four or five seasons now. They had to follow that up with DeAndre Ayton at some point, Macau Bridges at some point, just to put themselves in position to even have a roster that was fitting for a guy like Chris Paul to come in and end up signing an extension with. And I think that's where some of these younger teams are going to be very fun to watch this play out because with Memphis, I think they've done the right thing so far. I think there's questions at this point about, do you really have a true number two guy? I think it could be Jaron Jackson. Um, I think there might be other guys on the roster that it could be the whole team for the most part is so dang young that you don't know how it's going to play out. Um, but I think that's, that's going to be what I am willing to keep my eyes on is these teams that all, everybody has a, a, some sort of franchise superstar right now. I'd look down the rosters of 20 to 22 teams in the league and say, they think they've got a number one guy that can win. What teams now are getting lucky and, or doing the right things after they've gotten lucky to build the foundational roster around them. And I think Memphis is a step ahead of quite a few teams in that department. It just remains to be seen if they take that next final step over the hump and become a true contender. Yeah, and that's the other thing that stands out about, you know, when it comes to this roster development, you know, you can have teams that absolutely do great in the draft, like the Magic did in getting Jalen Suggs and Franz Wagner, like, you know, Houston did getting basically a new lineup, and, you know, Charlotte did. You can have that, but I think another thing that Memphis has done well, and you're starting to see teams do, you can even see Detroit, Greg, do it this upcoming year. Yeah, it's clear that they want to keep building through the draft. It's clear that they probably would benefit from having as good a draft pick as possible, but it's not the tanking aspect of things. It's the natural encouragement for the teams to play as good as they can, sort of like Memphis has had, and they've exceeded expectations, but it's also the fact that they develop a culture where players develop well. It's finding the balance between encouraging going out, being competitive, and winning, but also making the smart moves to keep building at your own pace to make sure we get it there it's sustainable. I think that it comes down to a balance of both developing and encouraging winning that really is the best way nowadays to go through a rebuild. It's it's hard to perfect, but I think a lot of times that may be the best way to go about it. Yeah, I think you're right. And, you know, I, I'm a fan of a team, like I mentioned earlier, the Pistons, who has been stuck in NBA purgatory for the better part of the last decade because they just insisted that they were trying to win now 
with a roster built around Greg Monroe or Josh Smith or Andre Drummond or all three at once. And I mean, it was comical from the outside for fans and everyone in the league that was paying attention who wasn't many, but anybody watching that knew this was a mess and knew it was misguided and knew that we knew that we needed a refresh. And I think, you know, I made this point earlier tonight with a, a buddy of mine. If you look up and down, let's take the Eastern Conference, for example, I think you got 14 teams that genuinely think going into next season that they could make the playoffs if things shake their way. And they're going to be trying to win. And to your point about culture with all these young players, that's an important thing to instill very early on. Even if you aren't necessarily going to win a playoff series, it's important to give your guys the belief that, you know, you are the guys who are going to take us there uh, and see what you've got more than anything else. And I think that's going to be one of the most exciting things going into next season to watch play out. Now on the flip side of that, it's one of the most loaded NBA drafts in a long time coming up next season. So I think, you know, early to midway through the year, there's going to be some teams that have to take a good hard look in the mirror to see, am I really going to have a chance of making that play in game? Or should I be throwing myself suddenly into the Jaden Hardy, the Jalen Duran, if he reclassifies the Imani Bates, if he reclassifies consideration next season. Um, and it, it will be interesting, but I think more, more likely than not, we're going to see more teams try to contend across the board next season. Um, and it makes for a really fun league as an unbiased fan of a lot of just players and teams in this league. It's going to be really, really fun to watch play out. And it will be fun to watch play out. But of course, with this Grizzlies team, we certainly don't want to take a step back from the playoff run that we had this year. But obviously, we have made moves to show we're focused on the future. But into next season, obviously, we want to see it play out. There could be a lot of fun in next year's draft, especially with the team that has three first round picks. Coming up, I'm going to talk a bit more with Greg about what to look forward to, not fast forwarding, but was 2021 the start of a trend where for a team that can draft good like Memphis, they really could take advantage of future drafts just like they did this one. So the 2021 NBA Summer League has certainly started, and it's nice to see it back and going after an absence last year, obviously due to the pandemic. But the reason why it's encouraging to see is because for any team in the NBA, it's an opportunity to see if there are parts out there that can improve their roster moving forward. They, you know, teams are always looking to make upgrades to make their roster perform better in the future. Well, the thing about it is this, is as we go into the future as car owners, we're likely going to need to upgrade parts as well to make our vehicle run better and smoother. And there's no place that can support you better in that need than rockauto.com. Number one, it's easy to use. Within a few clicks of the button, you're likely going to find what you need. And once you find it, rockauto.com is likely going to have what you need because regardless of the make and model or the car part specifically that is needed, rockauto.com is likely to have it. This is a family-owned business. They've been in business for over 20 years. They know that car parts typically fall outside of folks' budgets. And if that's the case, rockauto.com will likely have what you need at a cost-friendly price to make it easy for you to get and to use to repair your vehicle. When you go to rockauto.com, let them know that the Locked On Podcast Network sent you rockauto.com, amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the car parts you will ever need. Visit rockauto.com today. 
So, Greg, don't want to look too far ahead, but you talked about the 2022 draft. And kind of what I've gathered is I don't necessarily know if you had the depth of just pure high upside guys who are freshmen, but I do think that you have a similar overall amount of talent in this draft. Just some of it in 2022 may be from guys who have played a few years in college, but it really seems like there's a very strong talent pool, but it's mixed with both freshmen and veterans in college, but it especially can get stronger if a few players were to reclassify. How would you compare the 2022 draft class to the 2021? I think it's just as strong, if not a bit stronger, and we'll see as this plays out if it gets even stronger, to your point, with reclassification. Um, I I mentioned Jalen Duran, who is by all accounts supposed to reclassify this week, actually, I think, I believe he's making his announcement Friday. Um, And he's expected to potentially end up at Memphis, potentially end up at Miami, Florida, potentially in the G league or the overtime elite league. But either way, it all, all parties expect him to end up in the 2022 draft. Um, But the, the top end talent of next year's draft one through four, I mean, this year's class was lauded for, that top four of Cade Cunningham, Jalen Green, Jalen Suggs, and Evan Mobley. And I think you've got four guys who in most years could be considered for number one next season. Chet Holmgren is a unicorn. I mean, that's the only way to describe him. And I'm excited a lot of people that are college fans are going to be able to get to see him at Gonzaga next year because he's a seven-foot-one shooting guard. I mean, the, the closest thing I've ever seen to Chet Holmgren was Kevin Durant. And that sounds crazy. I know there were Brandon Ingram, Kevin Durant comparisons, but when you see Chet Holmgren step on the court, I mean, there's maybe two people on earth at any level that can do the things he can do from an offensive skill perspective at his size. Um, He, to me, is a runaway, you know, once a decade type guy that should go number one. And then beyond him, you've got Jaden Hardy, who is straight out of the Jalen Green playbook, a very bouncy, um, skilled, franchise-changing guard who is not a point guard but can be a lead guard in a lot of ways with really good size. Um, Jalen Duran, who is just an athletic monster with a high motor in the front court. And then the fourth name would be Paolo Banchero who's going to end up at Duke, another very versatile four slash five. I think he'll be a five in college, more like a four in the NBA. Bouncy as can be, extremely strong finisher, has skill, can put the ball on the floor. I mean, these guys, one through four, match up just as good, if not better, than the top three of Cunningham, Green, Mobley from this past draft. Um, And then to your point, it's a deep draft. There's a lot of guys who are incoming freshmen that you look down that are projected in the lottery, just to name a few that I'm, I'm high on, Patrick Baldwin Jr., Caleb Houston, Kennedy Chandler. I know you and Tennessee fans will be very familiar with him by the end of next season. Um, and then even to your point, some guys that, that are familiar to college players, specifically one that I'd like to keep an eye on, and Jaden Ivey, who is a six-foot-five guard from Purdue, who just played with Team USA in the FIBA 19 and under group and was dominant. I mean, he was reminding people athletically of Victor Oladipo, but can do a lot more with the ball in his hands. 
Um, I think, you know, Purdue's going to be a team that's top 10 in college this season. And if they do anything more than top 10, it's going to be because Jaden Ivey is a super duper star. So I think back to my original point a couple minutes ago, of there's a lot of teams that are going to try to compete that are going to have to look in the mirror. I think we're going to get a lot of teams down the stretch of the season who think, man, I've already eliminated. And the difference between the next two weeks for me could be Paolo Banchero versus, you know, a 10 to 15th range pick is going to be hard for teams to swallow trying to stay competitive down the stretch, just knowing how strong this draft is. Um, but it's, it's a beautiful thing for the sport. It's a beautiful thing for the league in general, because we talk about how much young talent there already is in the league. Just wait three, four more years because these two drafts back to back are as strong as any I can remember from one through 14 in the lottery. There's cha- franchise changing guys all over the place, Sean. And I'm, I mean, if you can't tell, I'm excited about it. Yeah, and the name Jaden Ivey is something from a skill set standpoint you could see the Grizzlies going after. He is a a definite fast riser, but he does have a connection to the Grizzlies. His mom is University of Notre Dame head ba- or women's basketball coach Neil Ivey, who also happened to be an assistant coach with the Grizzlies during the 1920 season under Taylor Jenkins. So that is a connection that certainly is, you know, I don't think Ivy Jaden Ivey is 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 high. He's reached He's reached a ceiling I don't think many expected for him to, but that's a connection with the Grizzlies, so he could certainly be a name to watch. But that's another thing I want to get your opinion on, Greg. When it comes to this draft, you know, the Grizzlies have put a heavy preference on getting guys who have a good who have a deep college background. They've been productive in college. We saw in this draft some players like a Franz Wagner or a James Boknight who who were taken, you know, in the basically uh, top 12, but I think nine of the 12 guys who were taken were either freshmen or first-year 18-year-old players. Do you feel that when it comes down to college production versus potential, has the narrative changed, or do you think we're going to consistently still see, at the end of the day, upside in youth that has upside is probably going to win out in most cases, especially at the top of the draft, over experience, no matter how good that production has been? You know, I kind of hope that it's changed because I've never bought in fully to the concept of you need the youngest possible guy you can get when you're in the draft. I really don't. I think more than anything, you just want to draft the best player. I mean, ultimately, that's what you're looking for. And guys develop at different rates. I get that. You you know, the guy you're drafting who's a 19-year-old kid, a 20-year-old kid, isn't going to be the guy he is five, six years from now. And that's why development teams and and that leg of each franchise is so important. Um, But I think, you know, just as often as you can point to, oh, this guy who was, you know, so young and raw and was just showing just the pieces of the player he was going to become ends up hitting and turning into that player. I think just as often you can see guys who are drafted a little too high because there's the hope that they haven't put it all together yet. And then they never end up putting it together. you know, I guess I'll I'll throw a name out there that I, I don't even like that I'm about to throw his name, but it just comes to mind off the top of my head off of his experience with the Grizzlies. Justice Winslow was a guy who was drafted not necessarily too high. I think he actually fell a little bit lower in the draft than I expected into the night of the draft, but he played one year at Duke. And I remember all the talk just being like, hey, 
imagine what this guy could do when he's not forced to play next to Jaleel Okafor and Tyus Jones and other guys at Duke who that team was so loaded. It's like they couldn't even feature him. All we know about him is he's this athletic monster. And God, imagine if he can learn to dribble and he can learn to shoot and he can learn to pass and he can learn to actually play basketball on top of the measurables he's got. And I think Justice Winslow has shown signs of a really good player, both in his time at Miami and his time at Memphis, uh, but he certainly hasn't put it all together. And to me, that's the risk that you run when you're so focused on taking a guy who isn't who you hope he becomes. And the flip side of that, obviously, is, you know, are you drafting a guy who isn't going to improve at all? Chris Duarte was the hot name this draft for everyone to point to. I guess you could use Corey Kispert as well, just – Guys that are quote-unquote win-now guys who are great shooters, who are smart, who you know are up there in age, up 22 to, I think, 24 in Chris Duarte's case. Um, and I, I think it's a little bit of a miss on that narrative as well because there's no point in saying Chris Duarte can't improve. And I get, like, you expect a 19-year-old to change more than you expect a 24-year-old Chris Duarte to. But you don't necessarily know how those kids are wired mentally. You don't know how they're going to respond to the role that you give them. Um, so I think I think franchises should place a little more emphasis just on fit within their personnel and just the player themselves. Like, what are they capable within that role that they're going to play within the guys around them more so than trying to hit the lottery on a guy becoming something that he's not? And at the end of the day, it's all about, you know, when you're building rosters, it's all about getting the high-end talent for sure, but it's also hitting unexpectedly. And that's what I'll kind of end with with you, Greg, is we're past the draft. We're now getting to the summer league. You know, the Grizzlies have done a good job of finding talent who are, are, you know, rounding out the roster as much as it is being at the top of their roster. But, you know, the Grizzlies certainly could look to add another talent, maybe on a two-way contract, really to get into their system at the hustle. But I, I know that there's a guy by the name, I believe, I believe it's Aaron Henry who played at Michigan State. I know he's played on the 76ers summer league team, but just one or two guys who you were surprised that were not drafted that Grizzlies fans may want to really pay attention to throughout summer league as making sense if the Grizzlies were hopefully going to find that third ball handler or maker to see develop in their system, either at hustle with the hustle or on a two-way contract. Yeah, I'll start with the name you just said, Aaron Henry. And this is not me being a homer at all. I swear, I cannot believe he was not drafted. And he wasn't a projected first round pick or anything like that. But I think every single 60 pick mock that I saw had him somewhere in the second round, as high as the mid 30s and, you know, as low as really the the high 50s. I never saw anything that had him questionable to be picked. There's been some reports that have come out that, honestly disappoint me a bit where it, there have been some behind the scenes concerns with Henry, the person more than Henry, the player. And from everything that I know and everything that I've heard from people plugged into that program, they've never heard a word of concern on Aaron Henry, the person um, he's a captain in his third year at Michigan state. He was a starting starter as a freshman, a role player on that team that did go to the final four um, you know, by all accounts, a consummate hard worker added something to his game every single year. 
So it's it's very strange. It's interesting. And I, you know, you do hear about guys who as they start falling in the draft, maybe their camp is pushing them a bit to even go undrafted. And I wonder if that's the case. I wonder if he wanted to end up signing with a, a team on a two-way that he was hoping to end up with. He ended up signing one with uh the the Philadelphia 76ers at least at this point. I don't know if that if I, I'm not sure how the contracts work, if that two-way is binding for the full season or what it is, or if the Grizzlies could swoop in. But Henry, uh, to me, I mean, he's he fits the mold of every Memphis Grizzlies three and D type guy that you guys have come to know and love. Defender that can guard one through four. Um, just a, a very tough-nosed player. Like, he'll get dirty. He'll get on the floor. He's a very physical presence offensively. The question is, can he become a knockdown shooter? He's a left-handed guy who really had to become an all-around go-to scorer on a pretty average Michigan State team last season. He's much better as a secondary piece, but he's a guy who can beat his man off the dribble. He's a high-level finisher at the rim, very high-level athlete who I think would fit in really, really well off of John Morant if we are doing the hypothetical of how would he look on the Grizzlies. So I appreciate you mentioning him because I think he's definitely the the 1A of guys who went undrafted to keep an eye on as far as turning, you know, the fact that they were undrafted into a successful NBA career. Um, but another guy that I'm a little shocked didn't get drafted, and he's a backcourt guy. His name's David Duke from Providence. He was a top 50 recruit coming out of high school. Uh, he only played three years in college, and I believe after his sophomore year, he was on the NBA radar and junior year at Providence averaged 17 points per game, six rebounds per game, five assists per game, shot 39% from three point range on five attempts a game, not, or 80% from free throw on five attempts per game. I mean, the guy really did it all at Providence. And I don't know how much your listeners know about Providence basketball, but it's a really ugly offensive system. It's just horrible. They run the flex offense that is like as outdated as outdated can be. And they don't have guys average those type of numbers very much at all. So David Duke is a guy who, to me, could have been an early second round pick. Uh, I wouldn't have hated if a team stretched and took him in the first round. I think you saw some guys go way too early, quite frankly, in the first round that um, David Duke to me is a better player then. So I, I haven't heard if he's signed anywhere for summer league. Um, but a name that I think to me is the best guard that didn't get drafted in that class. And a guy who really, I don't know that he's an NBA point guard, but if he's a two guard in the league, he's a two guard that can certainly take some primary scoring and primary creation away from whoever your point guard is. So that your point guard isn't just the only guy out there who's demanded to make a play. And I think, you know, picturing him next to a Ja Morant, you know, he can shoot it. He can play off ball. But, you know, he can give Ja a break from the the physical toll of being the guy every single possession uh, at a level that I think would help a lot of teams, not just the Memphis Grizzlies. 
Yeah, and he actually is with the Net Summer League team, and he's a guy that I that I know that uh, uh you know for the blog that I write for Grizzly Bear Blues, we've talked about him a bit. I've seen some other you know a part of Grizz or part of you know Grizz Draft Twitter, you know Draft Twitter in general. They mentioned him, so those are some really intriguing names uh, that are out there. Greg, this is this is what I was hoping for. This has been an absolutely insightful conversation. I cannot thank you enough for making the time uh, to come talk with us. I I know, obviously, you and Carter always have plenty to talk about. We've got the college sports season coming up on the horizon. But for the next month or so, what are some exciting things you and Carter Elliott have going on or you yourself that folks could look forward to? And where can they find your great work? I appreciate that, man. It's always fun talking to you and making my first official debut on Lockdown Grizzlies just has me giddy right now. So appreciate the invite. Uh, You guys can find everything that we're doing over at Sleepers Media. Find us on our YouTube channel, uh, Twitter, Instagram. All of that is at Sleepers Media. We've got some pretty nice player interviews coming over the next week. I'm not going to spoil too much because I don't know the specific logistics, but we're working on a series of interviews with guys who actually went undrafted. So we're, we've got some, some discussions on timing for that going, but we should have two or three players who we think are guys that fit the quote unquote sleeper mentality that we are as the sleepers um, that we want to want to highlight and talk to about the process of what it's like to go undrafted, where they've landed and how they're going to work to, to find their roots in the league. Um, and one other small plug, this is stupid and I don't know if it's allowed, but we, we did a video called drunk scouts for Cade Cunningham, where we played a drinking game while watching Cade Cunningham highlights from one of his best games of the season that went about as I'm sure you would expect it would go. Pretty entertaining watch. And listen, I say a lot of really stupid and fun things on it, but we'll be doing a few more of those for the other top prospects in this draft. We might even have to work our way to a Zaire Williams one, Sean. I think that could be fun. Yeah, I don't know if you want to take that chance with some of that college tape. No offense to Zaire, but that could get pretty, pretty adventurous there. His name is Greg Waddell. Both him and Carter Elliott are fantastic basketball mind. Even It binds even better people. So we we certainly will have an upcoming episode where we will have uh, them as well as a few others just come on for a roundtable discussion about basketball in general. But Greg, can't thank you enough for making the time. If you'll stick with us, but it's been a pleasure talking with you, sir, as always. Absolutely, Sean. Thanks, man. All right. His name is Greg Waddell. You can find him at gweezy 12 on Twitter. You can find his show, Sleepers, at Sleepers Media on Twitter. Myself at StatsSEC. My name's Sean Coleman. This is Locked on Grizzlies. Find it at LockedOnGrizz.com or Locked on Grizz on Twitter for Greg. My name's Sean. We're going to be with you all week for all the crazy news when it comes to the NBA and the Grizzlies. Stick with us. We'll talk to you again soon here on the Locked on Grizzlies podcast.